Welcome to the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast, the show focused on the strategic disruption of the status quo in technical organizations, communities, and events. Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the Hashtag Call to Scene podcast. Today, I have someone who I have been, um, for a while, I was secretly, I wouldn't say stalking, but I was just, he wasn't following me. I was following him and he definitely causes a scene. <laughs> and so I was like, I got to get to know this guy. So I wanted to introduce everybody to Marco Rogers. Marco, please introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, how you doing? Thanks for, thanks for having me. Um, I'm Marco Rogers. Um, I am an engineer and an engineering manager. Uh, I've been doing this for about 15 plus years uh, and been here in, in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley for um, uh, since 2011, right? Uh, and I've seen everything from, you know, small startups to high growth startups to big companies and, and really kind of run the gamut. Um, so, you know, happy to kind of dig into whatever you want to talk about. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. So we start the show, um, with two questions. Why is it important to cause a scene and how are you causing a scene? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I love those questions when I was, uh, I was, um, listening to some of the old episodes. So why is it important to cause a scene? Um, my, my take on this is that when it comes to, uh, trying to create change, and trying to create the the kind of cultural change that you need to see in people, um, they won't come to the table unless they're forced, right? Like you you don't bring people to the table by appealing to altruism. You don't bring people to the table by you know um, appealing to their better selves because that's that kind of thing is easy to ignore, right? Especially if they're getting benefits from the status quo. And so causing the scene is about disrupting that status quo and and causing that level of pain or discomfort that's going to bring them to the table and say, well, whatever you're talking about, got to be better than this, right? Uh, causing the scene is about creating that disruption that that creates a catalyst for change in my mind, right? And um, how, how would I say I cause a scene? Um, you you kind of mentioned, right? Like most people, I think, who um, who may be listening or who may look me up, you'll you'll find me on Twitter. And Twitter is the place where I initially found my voice to be able to uh, to cause a scene, to cause to start causing uh, calling people out, to start um, shining a light on the, all the ways in which um, we are not living up to the promises that we make to people. And by, by we, I mean uh, tech, and also just like kind of a wider um, indictment on American culture. But um, also, like, so, so there, I, you will find you will find me being very vocal and very strident and on a lot of these topics. But also, you know, what I what I took away from my journey uh, towards causing a scene is like, what does it look like for me to do my part? Because I, you know, I exist within this ecosystem, and in fact, I'm I'm one of the people who has experienced a lot of success in Silicon Valley. So, am I am I also causing a scene within these companies? And when I ask myself that. Um, my career trajectory also started to change a lot. So, uh, like I said, I've also been an engineering manager, engineering leader, um, director of engineering, head of engineering at several companies and caused the scene within these companies by saying, you know, these messages that we're giving to people externally, are we actually living up to that? 
right? And I think um, I've got lots of stories around what happens when you do that inside these companies as well. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I hope that's a, I hope that's a good enough answer. But uh, I love that question. Okay, so I'm going to start with something that happened today. Um, you know, we are in a community who um, we have a lot of. Um, uh, people who want to be quote unquote allies, they they take on this brand for themselves. It's like an A on their chest. Um, the liberals, per, uh, progressives, or so they think. And every once in a while, we'll get you, you and I, or uh, people like us, to get into these conversations. And somebody will quote, throw out a "I have a dream." Some part of the, some part of some some very what they consider kumbaya, MLK quotes. And so today I um, shared a quote that I know many will not share. And this is how I want to start this conversation because I thought, when I thought, I was like, this is be great for Marco. So the, for qu- the, quote, <laughs> the quote is, it is the aspect of their sense of super- superiority that white people of America believe that they have so little to learn. <laughs> I know that quote. MLK Jr. And this is what I find in tech. And this is where the, the rub and the absolute horror comes is the fact that in a space that's, that claims to be so innovative, in a space that claims to be so disruptive, in a space that claims to be so, you know, we're creating good for the world, we want to connect the world, how hardline they these individuals become when it comes to pointing out their lack of knowledge yeah, and how their lack of knowledge is negatively impacting other people. It's like they don't even, I know that I have my perspective. I can only speak for Kim Creighton's perspective in all the different ways that I am who I am. And you can too. But for some reason, the leadership in tech and it's coming out of Cinecon Valley. And that's another conversation I want to have as a black man. How are you doing that? Because <laughs> I would be taking one of them scooters and knocking the hell out of them on a daily basis. Um, how, how is this space so... And the reason I bring that quote up, because that's what I find you do often. You see someone who makes what they think is a benign comment, and you will quote retweet and create a whole thread educating why that is not a benign comment. <laughs> yeah. And it happens over and over and over and over again. So I wanted you to talk about that. Yeah, absolutely. Because you are, you are at, have been dealing with the people at the top. So just talk about that. Yeah. Uh, so, so I want to answer your question, right? Cause I could go on a couple of tangents. You'll, you'll notice that I go on tangents. Oh we, on, yeah. Mm-hmm. Happens on Twitter also. But I want to answer your question, right, about this quote. Uh, why is it that people present themselves like they know what they're talking about when they clearly do not? Um, I believe it comes from a couple different places. First and foremost, when we talk about uh, whiteness, and I, I talk about whiteness a lot as a, um, as a construct, right, not just white people. But um, I think whiteness as a construct also comes with a lot of these defense mechanisms, I talk about the fact that whiteness as a construct has to protect itself in order to in order to maintain the status quo. Mm-hmm. And I think part of that is the way that it educates people, right? Like there there is a miseducation that happens on a, on a very wide scale. And part of that is telling, you know, white people and not just white people, but everybody else that like 
this is how this is how racism is supposed to look. Mm-hmm. And if you hear it anywhere else, that's not correct. Mm-hmm. And that's the that's the that's the fight that you end up having with people all the time. It's like that's not racism. That's not what it looks like. That's not what we're doing. And I I, I am it, it makes me just as 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 frustrated and infuriated because there's no conversation about why they feel equipped to say that, right? <laughs> <laughs> there's no conversation about like it's just like well my mama told me and I'm like. <laughs> I'm like, your mama was was watching on TV while they hit us with dogs and fire hoses and being like, oh, mm-hmm. that's okay. And so listening to her about what racism means may not be an unbiased view. Uh, right? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, but I mean, like... Sitting you know, on the couch listening to Bull, Bull Connor. That's not, right. Like, yeah. I, you know, it's it's amazing to me but because, you know, it's not just kind of presenting themselves with that that knowledge that they don't have, but also, like you said, this idea that there's nothing for them to learn, that it's not a conversation where we are trying to come to the table, but but them going, no, I I have the monopoly on what reality is. Your job is to convince me otherwise. And they, and they, and they, they frame the whole conversation around that. Like, I cannot, I cannot be moved. And if you, if you haven't convinced me, it's because you're not good enough. Mm-hmm. And so I, I hate that, right? So, so there's another part of this, though, and I, I think that's a wider thing, but in Silicon Valley in particular, I think it's a, it's a, it comes um, along with this other really insidious thing where a lot of the dysfunction that we talk about in tech in particular is predicated on them setting themselves up as the smartest people in the room and in any room, right? Mm-hmm. And the only way that they can uh, push forward the things that they do is because they have taken this stance that they have the knowledge and and the and the perspective and the and the genius and mm-hmm. other people can't see it. <laughs> see this. You see this rhetoric from VCs all the time, like, oh, the best founders, everybody told them their idea was terrible. And it's only because they didn't listen to anybody ever that they created the, this thing. And I'm like, oh, man. So, so for, every, for every person like that, for every person where you can create that narrative, it's not a true narrative, but for every person where you can, you can you know, retroactively create that narrative, there's like 100 people who have bad ideas that were just bad ideas. And you can, you can, you can take a lot of bad ideas and put $100 million behind it oh my and God. something will happen. <laughs> Like even bad ideas, you give people yeah. a lot of money and something can happen, <laughs> right? And so that that whole um, that whole narrative where uh, you know these people are being kind of lionized as geniuses, I think, is also part of the dysfunction of tech. It's, it's what allows them to do what they do. It is so funny you mentioned that because once I really started deep diving into this, so I've always had an entrepreneurial bend. I've always been studying entrepreneurs, but amazingly, the ones that that are you know the ones that we are put out as the geniuses are all white. And the, as I d- dive into their backgrounds, I'm just like, dude, this is so mediocre. Of course, you look at look at what you had, the win, the sa- the winds in your sails. I mean, Elon Musk, come on, dude. You had apartheid as 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 a as a as, a, as a, something to stand on. Both of your parents are professors. You had a computer that you got to take apart and figure out how it worked. There's so many things that led to that. And they want to make it seem like these people just woke up and, you know, they came out the womb and they were, you know, the people start shit in their garage every day. But if you don't have the network of a Steve Jobs, it's not going to change. Right. 
And I look at when you just like talking about the dysfunction of Silicon Valley, I'm look at Elizabeth Holmes. When you look at the the WeWork thing that's happening right now, when you look at the fact that Uber has been allowed to lose billions of dollars every year and never been profitable. Never. <laughs> not not even approaching profitability. Never been profitable. And and so like uh, the it's funny that you mentioned Uber and WeWork because at the beginning of this year, we started to hear all of these, um, you know, whispers about, you know, the the next round of tech IPOs. And, you know, towards the end of this year, it's like, oh, things aren't things aren't going well. And and WeWork is in that place where they didn't they didn't quite get in fast enough before people started to wake up and be like, what is happening right now? But not but and I want to stop you right there, because it's not even that they, they didn't get in fast enough. It's that. People start, maybe it's because they didn't get fast enough, but it's like you start seeing all this stuff underneath that you're like, what the hell is going on here? <laughs> this was not a business. What the hell is this? Right. And, and my, my feeling is that pe- people in the know have uh, have been aware of this with businesses like Uber from the beginning. Right. And and I feel like I knew less about WeWork, but I've, I've kind of gotten up to speed. But there are, there are a lot of these tech businesses that are that are kind of trying to exit right now that do not have viable business mm-hmm. models. Exactly. They do not have that. They never did. Never, never did. Like all these freaking, like all these freaking scooter companies, mm-hmm. they do not have a viable business model. They just had VC money. They don't. Right. And it, you know, this, this is a, this is a, um, a, a thing that I think you'll see a lot where we've shifted from you're creating a business and, and you need this venture capital in order to, grow it really fast and, and and get it to a point where it has a huge market share because that'll allow you to outstrip your competitors. That, that was the narrative. And I think it, it you know, there, there's some, there's some problems with it, but I think it's, it's reasonable. It's a reasonable narrative, but that has actually shifted to something else, which is like, like venture capital is cheap money. Mm-hmm. And what winning looks like is convincing people to give you this venture capital, like that is success. Like raising money is the success point. And so that's, the, planning. so that's like the, so that's like the business model now. <laughs> that is the business yeah, model. Like yeah, nobody's yeah. planning for what comes after that. Mm-hmm. And, and I think the problem that I have with the way that th- that is going down right now is a lot of people are going to get hurt, but it won't be the people who invested, right? Like oh, no. when a company like Uber does an IPO, they get their money back. Mm-hmm. They've been paid. Mm-hmm. It's it's the it's the public market that has to deal with this garbage that they put out there. <laughs> that they, they did took, not know was not successful. <laughs> right? They took their money and ran. Yeah. And we're we're not really going to be talking about the people who got hurt because this was actually never a viable business. Like, you mm-hmm. know, like it's it's weird that we end up talking about how they lose billions of dollars and it ends up being kind of a thing that's easy to say. But that's astounding. Yes, that's astounding. They're losing billions of dollars. Multiple every billions every. And, yes. and the fact that that's allowed to happen. And in fact, we've started to talk about it casually. That tells you everything you you need to know about what's happening in tech and in Silicon Valley. I mean, I think about the um, again going back to um, Elizabeth Holmes, and I watched that documentary, and all these influential white dudes she had on her board brought in. I mean, helped her bring in money. She never had a product. She never had anything that worked, and she sold it to a a, a drugstore, a pharmacy, and 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 they didn't say, hey, we bought or bought into equipment that you're not sending to 
the facility, but yet we have to send this stuff to, we have to take the blood and send, well, that's not, hold up. I thought the whole process was to make it easier, yeah. but you've added steps in here and nobody's like red, red, um, waving a red flag. <laughs> and well, so the people who did wave a red flag, they get penalized. Yes. And, and I think that that'll bring us back to a lot of the stuff that you and I end up talking about, about who makes it and who doesn't. You know, and Silicon Valley, they, they really like to have this narrative, like, all you have to do is work hard and be smart and you'll make it. But there's so much grime underneath where it's like anybody who said anybody who, who does what you said, like, I'm looking around, <laughs> I, I'm 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 listening to what you're saying. And like, it don't it don't look like that. Right. Those people get systematically shut down mm-hmm. and discredited and pushed out. And so the only people that are left are, are the people those. Who, are a, yeah. who are a a like ignorant enough that they they're getting duped, or b they have decided to go along. They're complicit. Yes, exactly. Yes. They've yeah. decided to go along, mm-hmm. and that's that's the question I'm asking about WeWork. I'm like, like who <laughs> who looked at these numbers and was like, this looks good. But not only okay, so let's talk about WeWork because not only the numbers aren't aren't right, but he <laughs> these. Formal CEO, former CEO is actually buying properties personally, putting WeWorks in his properties and charging rent mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to his. How, what, how in the fuck can my black ass do that? So I'm right. I'm like, if that's the scam, right? Like, right. So, so like, let me go buy know, some houses and do some. This is kind of, this is kind of what I mean though, right? Because you, you ask yourself, you're like, there was a moment where somebody had to sit down and sign some contracts about this. Mm-hmm. And somebody across the table is thinking to themselves, like, wait, we're just about to pay him for these buildings? Like, <laughs> you know, and, and like, there's, I, you, you know that there's an opportunity for someone to say something. Yes. Like, I don't <laughs> think this is how it's supposed to work. Mm-hmm. And either they got, you know, either they got pushed into silence or they became complicit at that moment. Or they were in, the, in or they were in, yeah, yeah, because everybody couldn't be in at the beginning. Right, yeah. I mean, you got to, there's paperwork. There's got to <laughs> be a paper trail. You can't, like, you know, contrary to popular belief, it's actually really hard for millions and millions of dollars to change hands without paperwork. So it's on paper where multiple people had to be like, yeah, I looked at this, it's fine. Because these aren't people who are like joint cartels with, with, no. with money and suitcases and under mattresses and stuff. This is going right. through legal channels. <laughs> so, you know, it, it's hard to say to what extent this is, you know, actually fraud versus just like some really creative bookkeeping. But at the end of the day, what you can say unequivocally is it's not good business. So, so why do these why do these people continually get held up as these geniuses? Ugh. They're they're it's, not creating good businesses. And and the, and then the thing is, and this is what this is what pisses me off about whisper networks because they will push out the people who are um, who are raising their alarm, and they get held up as as heroes until it all comes crashing down, and everybody wants to be all look all innocent. But we can't get assholes to not keep getting um, allowed to speak at conferences when they have a history of talking, being transphobic. And, and I'm like, what, when, <laughs> at some point, something has to give. Who, who gets, who, like, when, when is it, when is it reasonable to hold people accountable? I feel like that's the question that we just ask every day, right? Every day we get an excuse. Yes. Yes. Because, it, because people will say you and I are bullying. They'll say, Oh, you're bullying people. What at what point 
would my black ass get that kind of benefit of the doubt? Right. Exactly. <laughs> I would get called out if I had a, a, a eye missing on something. I don't even get that much leeway. Yeah. But you, we continue to see conferences, booking people, and not even doing the cursory help. I'm, I ain't been in tech for five years, and I can Google. Um, I can go to the hashtag call the scene network. I can tweet something. And the next thing I know, somebody done found a, a thread, a link or something that gives me all the information I need. There is no excuse today in 2019 to continue to bring people, uphold people. And only thing they have to offer is they coded something back in the day. <laughs> yeah. So, so, uh, you know, like there's a there's a lot of things that we could get into, but but I think one of the most important aspects of tech culture that enables this is this idea that um, tech is separate from politics. And I love that you have that in, you know, the things that you outline for people about what it means to change tech culture. Right? Oh, yeah, because it's not apolitical. People, people, tech is not neutral and it's not apolitical. Yes. Tech is never neutral. So what the the excuse that we get all the time when these really problematic people keep getting brought to these conferences is a people want to hear them like no not really they don't become important until we make them important yes and we can we can we can trade those people out for people who are just as smart just as accomplished but who are not problematic it's easy it's actually really easy to do that if and it's more of us than it are, is it them so it's very easy to do it <laughs> absolutely but b they also are like well this person has done these really amazing things and that's separate from whenever whatever they might have done in their quote unquote personal life. And I, I think that, you know, that is where I really started to get burned up because it really, it really underscores the fact that we're not having the same conversation about what diversity and equity and inclusion mm -hmm. means. Yeah. What we're trying to do is create the environment where people can come into this space and be themselves and understand that they're going to be welcomed instead of saying, this is a place where you literally have to separate your identity and only talk about code or only mm -hmm. like care about the things that have to do with technical issues that you, you cannot bring your blackness in here. You cannot bring your gender in here. Like that's the opposite of what we're trying to do. So every time I hear that, it just, it makes me so angry because it's so clear that the, all of this is like most of this is lip service, right? Like it, it's an intellectual exercise for them. Like, oh yeah, I totally care about diversity. Like, oh wait, what do you what do you mean you want to talk about politics? That's not what we're doing. I'm like, but even to what do you <laughs> what do you think it is that we're doing? But even bring it out further, it's humans. What you you what you're expecting people to do is leave their humanness at the door because oh my god, we don't want to do anything with humans. We just want to talk about this this code base this 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 thing and anything that has to do with humans is off limits right and this is why so many and i get it when this space first started it was a bunch of people who didn't like human beings and and they got to sit and do what they wanted to do say how they wanted to do and make stuff how they wanted to do that was a great start that was infancy that is what babies do when they shit on themselves mm. we need to grow up and take off the diapers <laughs> and act like toddlers and then adolescents. And, and, and we need to work on, we can't continue to be shit, shitting on ourselves, babies. We can't continue to do that. 
Um, and I, I really don't care about the person who created something because people create shit all the time. It's how people use that thing. And that's where the innovation comes from. Um, that's especially when you talk about, oh, that's not how it was designed. I don't give a shit how you designed it. That's how people are using it. You need to get up to the, how people are using it because your design is now causing a problem with based on how people are using it. Right. This is, I mean, things shift. They don't stay. It's like, we want to, we want to be this cool, innovative. Yeah. But we want to stay in this little, but we are safe. We're back here. Let's go back 15 years. No, we can't do that. So, you know, I, I agree with you. And, and you know, I, what, people don't really think about what the term venture capitalist means. Um, at the end of the day, these are people who, by, by definition, have said, my only goal is to make money for myself. And I'm going to do that by taking the, the capital that I have and, and injecting it into these different ventures that I hope blow up. Mm-hmm. And you know what? If that if that's the way if that's the way that they want to conduct themselves, I think that that's fine. And it has enabled people to start businesses. But what we've done is allowed those people and that mentality to become pervasive, to become to become and the, the default. Dominant, it's the right, default the yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. culture. Yeah. And when that happens, like everybody else also starts to 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 do ridiculous things. <laughs> right? Everybody else also starts to do ridiculous things because that's the incentive that they're responding mm-hmm. to. Even if they don't have venture money. It's just like, it's like, what are you doing? It, you know, <laughs> when we look at what, where we are in this moment with uh, Facebook, mm. where Facebook has used technology that, that should be, you know, everybody, it's like, you know, the, the technology is not at fault. It's agnostic, whatever. That is the actual problem mm-hmm. that Facebook didn't just build a giant uh, surveillance mm-hmm. machine. They built that surveillance machine and then they gave it to anyone who was paid money for it. They, 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 you know, Facebook is not just Facebook that has this power. They will sell it to anybody who has the money. Yep. <laughs> and they don't ask questions about what is being yep. used for. Mm-hmm. So my problem is, you know, this mentality that tech is agnostic is exactly the thing that enables this harm. Like our, our, you know, the, the American elections and, and other people's elections are being impacted today because any person that wants to pay Facebook money can get access to this apparatus, this technology that allows them, a small group of people, mm-hmm. to impact the thoughts and, and the understanding and the, the, you know, the increased ignorance and, and ultimately the actions, and the actions of millions and millions of people. That's another thing. That's why, you know, the whole uh, lack of inclusion is a risk management issue. At what point do you take responsibility for the things you create? And, and, and this is where tech has gotten, has, has had this long tail of not having any issues. Like if you, if I am in a car and the airbags don't work, the the manufacturer is responsible is is liable for that is there's a l- l- issue for that tech has not have been held accountable in the same way and we've taken advantage of that right um so not only have we had these individuals who think they know each, know everything running everything not listening to people you have that aspect then you have this venture money in there with people who's i mean i know entrepreneurs who they can't tell you what their product is, <laughs> but they can tell you that out the door, they're looking for VC money. Um, 
And then, <laughs> and then you have companies who have never had to account for anything, have never had to, you, they go to Capitol Hill and these congressmen are asking questions and we're, we're sitting all, I remember, I remember the day on Twitter, everybody's like, what the fuck? They could have asked me to get him a list of questions to ask these people. <laughs> our, our, our government is so unprepared to deal with this moment. They're so unprepared. And it's so obvious when you watch these hearings and things. And I'm like, I'm like, you, you don't even really know what Facebook does. <laughs> you know? Yes. <laughs> no, There's, I don't even think they understand how, how Facebook makes money. The, the fact that these folks are the ones that we're depending on to try to arbitrate and to, to regulate and, you know, to, to put limits on these people, like that's never going to work. Right. And so we, we come back to the, to the place where we're just like, all of these people need to get called out. <laughs> <laughs> all of them. I so love like, you, Marco. Cause I'm just like, I'm like, I need a list. I need <laughs> I'm like, you think you're doing something, but you're not. Right. And let me tell you why, you know? And the, the thing that I, the thing that I feel yes. like I end up, over explaining on Twitter mm-hmm. a lot is like I'm I'm not special. I'm just some some guy, some asshole, but I know how to read. Right? <laughs> I, I know how to read and I, I'm smart enough to know when what you're saying is not it's what the bullshit. You see happening. Right? <laughs> and so, you know, I try to go out there and I'm just like, you know, I'm not trying to use fancy language. I'm not trying to I'm not trying to use academic language. And and I mean No, even, you really you you really break it down. I'm not, I'm, I'm even, I'm really bad at, uh, I'm really bad at citing my sources too. And I, I, I stay that way on purpose. I'm like, nah, I'm not, I, I do read. I read a I lot. I ain't about to prove this I shit. I ain't about to prove this shit to you. I don't keep a, I don't keep a notepad ready with a link every time you ask me for, no, right? Like I educate myself. Yes. I expect you to do the same. Everyone in the hashtag call the scene community shares the same common beliefs based on a set of four specific guiding principles. One, tech is not neutral, nor is it apolitical. Two, intention without strategy is chaos. Three, lack of inclusion is a risk and increasingly a crisis management issue. And lastly, but most importantly, four, we must prioritize the most vulnerable. To find out more about the guiding principles and adding them to your Twitter profile banner, please visit hashtag causeascene.com. I expect you to do the same, right? But but at the end of the day, even before we do that, we got to agree on some basic reality. And some basic terms, some basic definitions. That's why I start every talk with, okay, let's define this shit right now. Let's get this out in the open. So we don't have to having this conversation 30 minutes later when you're talking about something. And I'm like, no, that's not how we define it. So one, one thing I wanted to do, because um, when I told people you were coming on the show, they were like, oh, Mark. <laughs> so <laughs> I want you to tell, take, first of all, I really do want you to talk to me about what it's like to be a black man who's just successful in, in Silicon Valley. Because that you are a, when people talk about unicorns, you are a freaking unicorn. Um, and then I want you to tell, talk about what is the most common with all the tweets and stuff you're doing, what is the most common thread or theme and I want to address, let's talk about that. Let's debunk that here. So two things. Talk about the, what, what it's like, how you've been successful in Silicon Valley as a black man. And what is, a, what is one of the common things you, themes you have to you address over and over on Twitter? So we can just, let's talk about it here. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That, that first question, we, we can spend a little bit of time on. Because the first thing I want to say 
you know, to you and, and to anybody else who's kind of been wondering is it took me a long time to understand that what was happening with me was atypical. Mm. It took a long time for me to understand that. And when I did understand that, I started to try to piece together that answer for myself. So I, I've I've done a lot of talking about this, but the, the short version is I realized at some point that my my whole trajectory, even from when I was really young, was about uh, was about helping me understand how to move in white spaces, mm-hmm. right? My wife and I talk about this a lot. And it's something that I think, um, you know, some Black parents learn how to do, try to try to impart that onto their children, but find any way for them to, to try to pick up those skills. But, you know, there's a whole narrative about um, being being taken out of your, your general schooling and being put into these gifted classes, right? These quote unquote gifted classes. Mm-hmm. And that, that all, that happened to me. It happened to me really young. And that like, it, it was even like, we had to go to another school, right? Like once a week I had to get on a bus, me and a couple of people had to get on a bus mm. and get taken to another school where the, where the special teachers were, where we got, you know, gifted mm-hmm. this and that, uh, different classes, even into high school, there was like regular English and like gifted English. Mm-hmm. Right. And it was very, very much a completely different track to be on. Uh, that propelled you into these other spaces. And those spaces, almost all the time, were primarily white. And I grew up in Atlanta, like <laughs> a lot of black people around. But the My more I, city. <laughs> right. The more I went on this other track, it was like less and less black people. And, and, you know, I'm and, and, and I'm going to stop you there because that's hard to fucking do in Atlanta. Yeah, it's very that's, hard. Exactly. And so I, I have that same experience because I wasn't in, in school wise, but my mom was always putting me into some extracurricular that was always with other pe- white people. And it's hard. People, it's hard to hell to do in Atlanta to be in a place where ain't a whole bunch of black folks. It's very hard. Right. The, I, so I went to <laughs> I went to Georgia Tech, which is in Atlanta. Right. Mm-hmm. It's in the, it's in downtown Atlanta. It's in the very middle of this very, very black city. And I remember this is, you know, almost 20 years ago now. But I remember when I first set foot on that campus and it was literally like, you know, it was like this oasis in the middle of Atlanta. I'm like, where the hell are all the black people? <laughs> I'm yeah. like, you know, like I would go, I would go into this school, you know, and I, I, I you know, uh, um, one of the things I think is important is I, I, I also, I went to Georgia Tech and I got a degree in computer science. So in that way, I've, th- I've taken what people consider to be a more traditional route. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that is also something that I feel like uh, was atypical um, when you talk to, when I talk to a lot of people today, they're taking alternative routes mm-hmm. into tech. But, you know, so I went to Georgia Tech and, and I was in computer science and I can tell you, man, there's no black people. In, there was no black people in computer science 20 years ago. None. Um, this was in, I graduated high school in 99. I went to college and this was when the first dot-com bust happened. Mm-hmm. And so in high school or in college, what I experienced was people going, oh, you're doing that computer thing. Uh, I don't, I don't think that's going to work out. I think that's kind of <laughs> over. Like they tried that and <laughs> it's going downhill. Um, but you know, thankfully by the time, um, I was graduating that had started to rebound. So like, you know, mid to late two thousands, it was basically starting to come back. And so I got my career started in D.C. Mm-hmm. I don't, don't want to go through my whole history, but like I want to I want to come back to focusing on your question, which is like, how did I get here? Um, the other thing that I tell people is that I wouldn't be where I am today had I not gotten invited by whiteness. Mm. <laughs> I got invited. I had all the I had all the the credentials and I had all the skills, but. You know, I didn't have Mm -hmm. the right connections. I didn't know Mm -hmm. how to make those connections. When I first graduated from college, I was having a hard time. But I I had uh, some good friends in college 
And one of my good buddies, like we roomed together for several years and, and he had kind of went in a different direction. But when I graduated, he called me. He was just like, I'm out here in DC and my job is hiring some people. And like, they asked me if I knew anybody. And so I, I thought about you immediately and I called you like just that. And so, you know, like it's, you know, this is one of those things where, you know, you talk to a lot of those people and they don't mm-hmm. want to admit that they had any help. I'm like, <laughs> I worked my ass off. I still had a lot of help. I needed to be fortunate enough yeah, to know the right exactly. white person at the right time to call yeah, me yeah. And, and, and put his credibility behind me and be like, yes. no, you should hire this person. <laughs> and that was just for me to get the call, right? Like I had to make it through the interview. I had to, mm-hmm. to, you know, it's not like that I wasn't qualified, but I wouldn't have never gotten the call. And that's what I hear a lot of times with people out here who are trying to, trying to make it is they never get the call. And so I've been fortunate in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But then after that, we go back to me learning how to move in white spaces. Me trying to figure out like, yeah. well, what, what are the things you need to do? What are the things you can't do? And I think, you know, to my credit, I had to learn that very, very quickly. I had to learn what to, what to wear to work. I had to learn how to talk to, you know, how to talk to people internally versus how to talk to customers, right? Like in my mm-hmm. early um, companies, right, you know, I would, I would get sent to customers. I remember the one formative moment for me, the first time that my boss was like, I want you to go out to this customer site and talk to them. And I, they, they didn't give me any, <laughs> I had very little like input into what that meant. I knew it was a serious thing, but I was like, I don't know what that means. Uh, so I, I put on what I hoped was like, the right clothing to go out there, right? Because, you know, mm-hmm. remember, and we could, we could get real deep, Kim. I, like, my dad was not around. Didn't exactly. nobody tell me how to dress exactly. at work? Exactly. Okay? No, no, we can get deep because <laughs> I, I, what I really want you to show here is people need to understand we're not having the same mm-hmm. lived experience. I, so I came in, I put on what I hoped was the right thing. Mm-hmm. And I was also really worried about my hair, right? Like, people have seen me. They know I have, I have long locks and I've had those since college. And I remember having this conversation with my grandma. She was like, boy, you know, you're going to need to cut them things out your head. They ain't going <laughs> to let you go out there looking. I'm like, grandma, like, I, I'm, I can do a lot, but I'm not cutting these off. <laughs> it's like, I can do a lot, but I'm going to have to figure it out because I'm not cutting my hair off. Like, uh-huh. it is what it is. And so I'm out here and I was worried about my hair, wearing my clothes. And I literally, like my boss, this white guy, he looked me up and down and he was just like, um, I don't know. Do you mind like tucking in your shirt and and like you know? Do you have one of those things? He was like one of those things like you, <laughs> where you tie your hair up, right? <laughs> uh, and I was like, yeah, okay. <laughs> so you know, I tucked in my shirt and I, I pulled my hair up and whatever. And he's like, yeah, okay. You know, just to, like do your best, right? But like in that moment, he he could make a choice about whether I was going to take this next step in my career yeah. or not mm-hmm. based on how I look. Literally, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Visually, he got a, he had a moment. He could have easily said, "No, that's all right. Let me send somebody else out." Right, there. right. And mm-hmm. uh, and uh, <laughs> and I, I remember, like, because I've I've always been this person, Kim, and I, I I remember I was bold at that time, just like I am now. And so I was like, afterwards, I was like, I, I went back to him and I was like, "What what would happen if I said no?" <laughs> Right. And, you know, he was he was he was he didn't miss a beat. He was just like, well, I might say that maybe it's not a good idea for you to go to client sites. Mm -hmm. Right. And so just in that, like, you know, I learned these lessons. I learned these lessons over and over, Cam, where it's like you either do what you need to do to conform enough for them to recommend you Mm -hmm. or you don't or you you get you get pushed down, Mm -hmm. you get left out. 
your career stagnates. Yep. It's that assimilation. It's assimilation to kill you. Right. Yep. Exactly. So, you know, I, I took the risks that I felt like I, I had to take, right? Because mm-hmm. my hair at that time, even at that time, had become part of my identity. I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm not doing it. So mm-hmm. if my barrier at that company was you have to have neat hair, I'd have been out. Like, you wouldn't mm-hmm. be talking to me. No one would have heard of me. <laughs> you feel what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's just yeah. that easy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and that arbitrary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I feel like learning those lessons about how to move in white spaces, just, I, I was just easier at, at picking them up. I picked them up much more quickly than everybody else. I watched other people, occasionally black people would come into my sphere and I'd be so excited. And like, before too long, they'd be gone because yep. they did the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I watched it happen. At first, I didn't really understand it. And then when I did understand it, I was pissed about it, but I didn't know what to do mm-hmm. about it. And it wasn't until I had moved myself to the point of having so much uh, experience and so much credibility that they couldn't they couldn't keep me out anymore. Yeah, I I could not be denied. And I've I've said this in a number of of cases. You, it's very hard to do this uh, before you have positioned yourself as someone who can't be denied. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's the only reason I can do this podcast because I've positioned myself that you can't you can't fire me. Um, I don't have corporate sponsors to the podcast and whatnot because I don't want you telling me what I can and cannot say. So that's why I have community. Um, we do community sponsorship um, because I need to. It, it, several times um, there have been people who want me to ke- keynote, and they're not the they, so the decision is made, and then when the person with the money realizes. They've either watched the video or something of mine and they're like, hey, we have some questions. And these people are like, well, I'm not going to be the one to tell us she can't say what she wants to say. Um, are you going to do that? <laughs> you got to you got to take them all the way to the conversation, Kim. Like, like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Can you explain to me what the problem is? <laughs> exactly. And that's what they did. So in one instance, they were they were like, so are you saying what do you so? Because Oh, I, I'll definitely get um, code of conduct violations for no reason, just because I've, oh, I've hurt some white person's feelings. And I'm like, did you read the code of conduct? Because I don't think feelings is in there, but okay. And then, um, so this, this, this conference, the organizers are new, will always gave me a platform. These are my girls. They always like, hey, we, Kim is going to bring it. And then the national chapter, I mean, the national organization was like, when they, I don't know what it was, but it was like minutes before my closing keynote. And they were like, um, there's this uh, this thing that happened, and um, and they're like, "What do you want us to do? Are you, are you saying she can't? No, we're not saying she can't. Well, then, what do you want us to do? Yeah, they'll they'll leave it blank. Yeah, exactly. What do you want us to do? No, if this is if you, then if you're the if you're the the national, what do you want? Tell us what you want you to do, want you to do. And this is the stuff that gets because you want to play on that line. You want to say, "Oh, it's inclusive. We're inclusive." We da da da. Until you get your feelings hurt, or somebody else gets there that you care about gets their feeling hurt, just because I'm speaking my truth, I, I can't I can't do nothing about. That's my truth. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm no longer taking care of your feelings, <laughs> so it's my truth, and I don't care about your. I'm not responsible for your feelings anymore. I think that's the I think that's the hard part, right? When I when I talk to a lot of people, uh, it always comes back to feelings, right? It always comes <laughs> back to feelings and people. It's like, it's, how are feelings more important than action? Right, right. And, and impact, right? And when I, so, so the thing yes. is like, I was, I was educated on this, uh, Kim, and I, I came to the point of understanding how to use Twitter as a platform for education by listening. Yes. Not by talking, <laughs> by mm-hmm. listening. 
But I came around to this understanding of intent versus impact. And I was just like, that's mm-hmm. really powerful. But when I, but once I understood it, oh, I started to see it everywhere. I'm like, I started to see it everywhere. Yes. Yes. And you realize, you realize, that's why I say fuck civility, because you realize how much of being civil is about uh, prioritizing people's intent over the impact of their actions and words. Absolutely. Like people ask me, like, like what I hear the most, like the, the single piece of feedback that I get the most as I've been moving through these, these companies is it's not what you said, it's the way you said it. That's what I, that's what I get the most. And I, I'm like, you know, I, I'm, I'm equal opportunity, Kim. I, I want to meet people where they're at. So I'm like, yeah. okay, if we're talking about that, if we can, if we can turn these conversations on how you're making people feel, I got some choice feedback for you on that. <laughs> exactly. Like, what do you think this conversation is about inclusion? Where black people mm-hmm. come into your organization and they feel invisible, mm-hmm. they feel passed over, they 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 get the, you know they they deal with daily microaggressions. Like, let's talk about feelings. Mm-hmm. If you want to talk about feelings, mm-hmm. we can talk about feelings. But it's not it's not everybody's feelings that are important. See that, and then that's when they win it. That's when they back off because then they realize, oh shit, I done stepped my stepped my foot in this because now I'm not. Ta- it's not blanket feelings. It's certain people's feelings. <laughs> exactly. It's the it's the feelings of people who who are are in power. That's what it is. Do people in power demand their feelings be mm-hmm. respected while well, they don't have to respect other people's feelings? And, you know, that just leads us directly into the other conversation about power dynamics, because this is the one I think everybody's having a hard time with. It is real fundamental. And I think it starts to also sound academic in, in the way that I was talking about earlier. But like it does make a difference who has power and leverage and who does not in these discussions. And the thing that changed for me is I went from a person who yes. who just had a voice mm-hmm. but had to had to figure out how to navigate because I didn't have any power to a person who was in on the leadership team, a person who was identified as, as a, a person who sets policy for the company. And so mm-hmm. I got to set policy in the way that I knew that it should be. And then had people come to me like, well, I'm not sure if this is the right thing. I'm like, tell me about it. <laughs> well, it's making people feel bad. And I'm like, which people, right? <laughs> Let's talk about which people. And, you know, uh, I found myself clashing with people, but on a more equal footing. And I learned a lot. Yes, I learned a lot about where this stuff actually comes from, mm-hmm. where this stuff actually comes from, because people don't really want to, like at, at the end of the day, people stop short of dealing with the actual underlying harm that's being done. And instead, they spend a lot of time and energy trying to make nice. Mm-hmm. They spend a lot of time and energy trying to make nice. And you get in way more trouble for making white people feel bad than you do yes. for, you know, for, <laughs> for, not, for not meeting your, not meeting your stated, publicly stated <laughs> diversity goals. Nobody yes. gets in trouble for that. I've yes. never seen anybody get in yes. trouble for that. Yes. <laughs> and yet if you make white people feel bad, it's a problem. Somebody's oh, yeah. gonna be. Oh yeah, that's going to your HR your record. <laughs> Some, you're gonna get some 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 choice emails. Mm-hmm. Somebody's gonna come to your desk. Like mm-hmm. it's gonna be a thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. you know, I think I, I end up making a nuisance of myself. I'm very like you know, you you probably know by now. Like I'm a very <laughs> difficult person to argue with. I'm a difficult person to argue with because I don't forget. I don't forget nothing. <laughs> right. I remember what we said was important. I remember what we said was not important. Mm-hmm. I remember I remember the things that we said we were going to prioritize. I remember when you said you were going to stay out of it. I remember all that stuff. 
<laughs> and you know, when you dropping these these subtle hints is not gonna do it. Like I need you to put it on the table. Be like, look, if we don't care about this, then say that. But I need you to go. I need you mm-hmm. to go say it. I need you to say it. At the next all yes. hands, all hand company meeting. Yes. Yes. I need yes. you to go out there and be like, we said this was important <laughs> exactly. and now it's not. Exactly. We realized this shit was too hard and we like, no, nah, we done. So, you know, I've <laughs> I've never gotten anybody to take me up on that offer, Kim. I, you know, we can speculate on why that is, but it doesn't work out that way. As long as I'm in these positions where I do have the, you know, the authority, I'm gonna make things go the right way. And I think, you know, I've been able to do a lot of good work, but it yeah. has a cost. And that's what people don't realize. It it, it does cost us. It costs a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the more I push, the more I spend my social capital in order to make these things happen, it, it limits my career. It limits my growth. Oh, it limits mm-hmm. my ability to be successful, even mm-hmm. if I win, even if I win. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like I'm kind of constantly doing this dance where I have to, I have to build and maintain my own credibility and social capital, mm-hmm. but it's so I can spend it. I remember, mm-hmm. I remember having this conversation yes. with a previous boss where, you know, he really wanted to understand and he really wanted to be helpful, but he always stopped short of doing the hard thing. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And he would come to me and he's like, well, I'm, I'm trying really hard to stay behind you, but you're like doing too much. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I'm like, dude, you don't even know what too much is yet. <laughs> I'm so, Exactly. I'm like, I'm not doing too much. I, what I'm actually doing is what we said we were going to do. That's the only thing that I'm doing is what we said we talked about and agreed to. I just think you 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 didn't realize how hard yep. it was going to be, yep. and now mm-hmm. you're trying to. What the conversation that we're having is? Can you find a way to make it look like that without actually doing? Yes, it? yes. <laughs> oh my god, that's the conversation yes. we're having. It's right? like it's like oh, that just, I don't know why that just made me think of like a set a set on a um on a movie set where it's like looks like a real wall or whatever, and it and it's not. It's just the, right. the, the facade. It's, it's just painted. There. Yes. Yeah. It's just painted. Yeah. Can you put, can put you your hand over lean, this? Lean on that wall if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I so I ended up having that conversation with him, but it it ended up being a conversation about social capital, right? Because he was he there was a moment where he was trying to be real with me, right? Like there's a moment, like maybe if you can get to a moment where white people try to have real talk with you, and they're just like, "Well, you're just like you know, you're hurting your relationships here, mm-hmm. right?" And I'm like, you know, I think I, I think I understand that, right? And I, and the question I want to ask you is like, why are you not doing that, mm-hmm. right? Why are you not doing that? If you and I sat down and talked about how we we both thought that this was important, right? Like, why why mm-hmm. do I have to be out here by myself? Mm-hmm. That's the question I want to ask. You. And that's why that's why I created that white men in tech ain't shit video that these fragile ass motherfuckers got taken down off. Um, but it's still on YouTube, assholes, because I c- recorded it before it got taken down on Periscope. And it was all this was. The title was "Why uh, White Men in Tech Ain't Shit. And it talked about this very thing. You have so much privilege. You have so much power. Why are you not using it? Right. Nothing right. ever happens to y'all. <laughs> Nothing. Not, right. <laughs> <laughs> I, was talking to, I was talking to this other guy. He used to be a friend of mine. He's not anymore. And... I, I was I was having this real talk with him and I was like, why like I need you to stand, I need you to show up and say the thing that I'm saying. Because mm-hmm. the difference between me and you is they never get mad at you. <laughs> like they're they they feel really okay pushing back on me 
They feel really okay characterizing me as somebody who's causing trouble. Angry and aggressive. For some reason, they don't do that with you, even when you're really wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I'm now ready to articulate and to publicly share my need to shift from causing the scene. Currently, this work, this push for equity, for minimizing harm, and for prioritizing the most vulnerable is collectively viewed by many as noise, bullying, troublemaking, as contrarian for controversy's sake, rather than what it is, a necessary evolution for the overall health and well-being of those who work for us, partner with us, buy from us, invest in us, and society as a whole. My focus from this day forward is to forge a path to welcoming and psychological safety in systems, institutions, and policies at scale because I will no longer put new wine into old wineskins. My team and I will be spending the next few months making the necessary changes to ensure that my new commitment to doing the proactive work of leading a movement framed by the guiding principles and seen through an anti-racist lens strategically happens with a relaunch on Juneteenth. To be kept informed of our progress, please follow me on Twitter at K-I-M-C-R-A-Y-T-O-N-1, Kim Creighton 1, and on our new Kim Creighton's Community Cafe Discord server. When I started Hashtag Cause a Scene in 2019, it was out of my frustration that no one was listening. Now that you're listening, it's time to get to work. Thank you for the years of support, and I'll meet you on the other side. Have a wonderful day. For some reason, they don't do that with you, even when you're really wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Even when you're extra wrong, nobody's like, for Mm -hmm, some reason, people mm -hmm. can't get mad at you. You have whatever thing. And and it's so funny because I do that on on Twitter. I'll have... um, um, one of the white people who engages with other white people and I'm in their DMs telling them what mm-hmm. to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like, cause they're not, li- I just said it. They're not, li- okay, so yeah, say that and, and drop this eat. And they're like, and then people are like, ah, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. if it comes better from that, yeah. then fine. I don't care. <laughs> so tell me, um, so give me, what what is the most yeah, like that, that second question of mine. What is the the most pushback you or the thing that you think that people just need to, that you have to keep telling over and over and over again on Twitter? Uh, I think that's a hard question to answer. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like we keep going over these things a lot. Uh, For me, one of the things is the definition, we can't get past the baby steps. What is cons- defined as yeah. racism for me? That's the big one. The 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 dictionary version versus the social science yeah. version. <laughs> yeah. So so here's my thing, right? Uh, and and this may be this may be a a, a place where you can kind of see. I, I grew up uh, having these really like pedantic fights with with tech nerds right like i'm i'm well versed in how they operate Mm -hmm. okay and so when i hear this thing where it's like that's not the definition of racism people want to send you like a screenshot of the dictionary (laughs) i'm like if you don't get out of here (laughs) i'm like you know because it's you know we we know that it's it's just a a diversionary tactic right but Mm -hmm. if you move past that you know i'm in this place where like I don't care what you call it, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, 
the 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 fact on the ground doesn't change just because you want to use a different word. Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about your feelings. I'm not talking about the N word. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about real pervasive systemic oppression and discrimination. Mm-hmm. Call it whatever you want, but let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's a diversionary tactic when they won't do that. Exactly. They exactly. won't do that. I'm like, pick a word. Do you yeah. If you pick a word, I will use that word <laughs> during this conversation. And yet we're still going to talk about the thing that we need to talk about. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the day, it always comes back to that idea of, you know, the the only real racism is the, you know, like you said, the Bull Connor, white sheets, mm-hmm, burning mm-hmm. crosses racism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that doesn't exist anymore. Exactly. And, and, and so I, I think for me, the thing I have to contend with the most is like, and, and it's, it's really a rhetorical trap and I, I use it, I, I use it un, unashamedly. I'm like, okay, so if racism doesn't exist, then we need to talk about why it's so, uh, it's so uncommon to see real equality, you know, black people in space, in these spaces, like, why is it not happening? If it's not discrimination, because then, then you, are gonna the be, cause? you are going to back yourself right into there's something wrong with black people. Yeah. You don't want to be there. Yes. You don't want to be there. Yes. You're about to paint yourself into a wall and corner. Yes. yes. That's not where you want to go, but I'm going to follow you there if that's where you want to go. <laughs> and that's what's so funny because they don't, they don't see that, that embracing that term of racism, because now it puts it on a systemic level, helps them. Right. <laughs> I'm giving you the way out. <laughs> I'm giving you the way, <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm meeting you, you want, in this place. But if you want to burn this house while you're in it, let's you know, go for it. <laughs> I'm meeting you in this place where we can start from the premise that it's not overt, overt intentional racism mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. it's got to be systemic mm-hmm. and maybe it's not your fault. Yes. It's, I'm yes. giving you the way out. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not your fault, but if you if you don't want to use that definition, you still have to answer for what we see today. Yes. I remember I did... Like what, what I tell people is that what happens on Twitter is I'm 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 giving you my thought process in real time almost. I'm thinking about these things and I'm trying to put these pieces mm-hmm. together and then I share it. I try to find ways to put the words together because I find that it helps other people. Like if you if you can come along with me on my journey, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and that's helpful for you, that's great. But I, and I'm I'm putting these out there while while I'm working through it. But I at, there was a point when I realized that we have allowed ourselves to be put into this conversation where we're trying to prove that discrimination happens. And I'm like, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. It was happening. You have to prove that it's not anymore. There you go. Yep. We all agree what history says. That's why I have my defaults. And people can sit there and say they're harsh or whatever, but I come to the table. All whiteness is racist by design, can't be trusted by default. Now, if you don't want to take that on, then there's no conversation we're going to have. Now, if you accept that, then we can engage. And, that's, and, this, and the, I want to get back to your point about painting yourself into a corner because at some point, because I tell people it's, it, all it takes is a little bit of time and a little bit of pressure and, and that, that statement comes out. Those, those, and it's like, and, and, and then they like, but I didn't mean, but just, but whoa, I, I didn't make you write that. I didn't, I don't, no, no, I, I don't didn't. have your, let I me, don't have your phone. Let me, <laughs> let me shut up. You can say it as many times as you want. You, you can find a way to be more articulate about it. <laughs> I'll wait. I'll be quiet. But I want I, I want to stay on this topic. And I don't think you're going to like where and it's going like to go. At that point, it's like changing the subject. Then it's your fault. You, yo, oh, it is so funny. And, and then they want to call you angry. And I'm sure you like me. You're just sitting there just chilling. I'm not. I'm just 
I just got some hours to burn right now. I'm good. Now, how about you over there? You good? Because you're looking a little sweaty. You're looking, you're looking a little upset there. Are you, you okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I've been on this thing. I, I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been on this thing for a little while now where I'm just like, how do we even get white people to talk about whiteness? Because they're even like, even if they're even if they're, you know, using these diversionary tactics and deflecting and stuff, they're real comfortable talking about racism. They won't talk about whiteness. Mm -hmm. They won't talk about their part in the dynamic that we are discussing. And this is what's this is the pushback that's happening right now with whiteness studies and why I because I used to share like white fragility and and I don't I will not share that anymore because now people have the language of anti-racism. And it's always, like you said, projected out. They don't want to yeah. look at the 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 whiteness, the 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 white supremacy part of. There's the reason there's an anti-racism because there's racism. <laughs> Word, yeah. And I I tried to I tried to move my language away from racism towards white supremacy for that yes. exact mm-hmm. reason because yes. a, mm-hmm. a conversation about racism is a conversation about black people, people of color, a conversation about white supremacy the conversation about whiteness and i want to talk about that mm-hmm. like i want to talk about that and i'm more so i mm-hmm. want to know why you don't want to talk about that you know what i mean yep and that's the very reason i say i use whiteness as 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 the opposite of blackness because they when they say oh but i'm not no one ever came to me and said what kind of black you are kim they just call me black so i'm not going to sit up there and ask you what kind of white you are you just white to me so now that we're meeting at the same damn place, let's have a conversation. Everybody knows what box to check on that demographic form. <laughs> and nobody, you know, like not white people, they're not confused about that. Exactly. Some, a, lot of, a lot of people of color might, might have a hard time with it, but white people ain't confused. Yeah. yeah. They don't check any of these other boxes. Exactly. So even like you have your white passing Jews. I didn't see you complain today is no Jewish box. Mm-hmm. They don't agitate for that. Exactly. They don't agitate to break down whiteness <laughs> when it comes time to count. <laughs> right. When it's time to count, but they're 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 real quick to 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 shed that moniker and that that legacy when it's time to talk about whiteness. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm I'm German. Yes. Oh, I, I, my 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 family is Irish. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, that they all white. When you look at when I look at you, I see white. I don't see nothing they else. That I don't, that's it. That's I'm the, I don't even care at this point because what you see for me is blackness. So we're gonna make this equal. <laughs> Yeah. So, you know, I, I think uh, I, I think it's it's real hard to solve these problems and we kind of come at it from different angles. But I don't I don't see us making any progress with white people unless they learn how to talk about themselves instead of everybody uh-huh. else, mm-hmm. instead of everybody and, else. And that's the and that's the requirement in hashtag cause scene. I have no I'm not going to have a conversation with you about blackness. I'm going to have. All I'm talking about is this is what white supremacy look like. You now you see that because it ain't in the, it ain't in the, in and with the swastika that ain't what that look like. That's this what this look like over here. So I need you to see all of that and all of that you complicity in, and you need to own that. And if you can't do that, then you are not only not helpful to me, but I know that you can harm me. So nope, deuces. Right. No. Nope. You know, like this. I you know we we get we go back to this idea of what makes white people uncomfortable, right? And the the fact that they are harmful to us that makes it that makes them the most uncomfortable. I didn't do anything. That's not my intention. Like I don't know what to tell you <laughs> because 
you can look at the outcomes. Yes. Like, we don't even have to talk about your intent. You can look at the outcomes. And we're not even talking about, you know, and we don't even talk about those invisible um, scars and traumas. Just look at the visible recorded things that are happening yeah, today. Absolutely. I don't even have to talk to you about the fact that how much emotional labor it takes me to damn write your email so your feelings don't get hurt. <laughs> yeah. So like there's there's uh <laughs> there's a there's a lot of study to be done about what it means to move in white spaces because what I've noticed is that the people who kind of end up being more central to this movement really pick up the um the ideas behind it and the um, the perspective around why we use these words and, and really try to internalize what they mean. But a lot of other people just kind of hear this language over and over and they're trying to pick it up, but they don't really understand it, right? But, when, you know, when we use a phrase like move in white spaces, it doesn't mean anything to them. Because to them, it's just like, you know, you know how that thing where it's just like, you know, uh, uh, um, you know, fish fishes don't understand water. Oh yeah, exactly. Because they're the default. It's never. It's whiteness is never examined, exactly. and that's why I do those videos. Like I did the video about white gays. I'm gonna explain to you what this means. So you, so you can't say you didn't know. Uh, here's a video right here. Because yeah, you're right. They don't. It's not. It's never examined. So it's they. It's it's yeah. It's the default. They don't see it as. But what's so interesting is that they can see blackness. And we're people who deal with technology. There, I mean, there are a lot of things that aren't binary, but there are some things that are binary. So even if it's not binary, that means there may be multiple choices. There's very, very few singularity in, in what we do. So if, if you can see blackness, why can't I, as you can see and examine blackness, why can't you also see and examine whiteness? They do, though, right? And, and I think, you know, it's not everybody, but I think that they do. And, and the, the thing that, um, it just manifests differently. And, and the way that it manifests is that they just avoid it. They know how to avoid it. But that's a part of a design of white supremacy, yeah. though. It is baked into the system. They, I, they don't take a class in this, but for some reason, some kind of way, they all speak from the same damn book. They say the same words. I'm like, did y'all take a class in, in deflection? Because it sounds exactly the same. So, so like... A lot of black people, especially people who are trying to be upwardly mobile and be successful, they will find themselves in rooms that have a majority of white people in them. But if you ask white people, when was the last time they were in a room full of black people? Oh, yes. I'm like, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just, it's hard to convey uh, the disparity there. Like, black people exist. And There's a lot of us. Yes. How do you mm-hmm. move through the mm-hmm. whole world without ever being yes. in a room? With mm-hmm. us. That was actually, um, so we were doing the How to Be an um, Anti-Racist um, Book Club on Sundays. And that was one of the assignments. Write about an experience where you were the only, or few of you in the room. And it was uh, a, people in Marjola. And I bet you many of them can't even, that, that was, a, that was one, one problem they couldn't do. Because they're, ne- they're rarely in spaces where they're not the majority. And, and, when, and when they are, they center themselves and it becomes about them. Right. They don't, they don't, I, you know, what, what's, what's I think really uh, important is that they don't move in the same way. They know mm-hmm. instantly that they're not in their mm-hmm. environment and they choose to deal with it in different ways. Some of them get louder. <laughs> Some of them get more quiet, but I, either way, they understand what it means to be out of your element. 
Mm-hmm. Don't 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 ever let them try to convince you that they don't understand. They do. They just don't mm-hmm. have to deal with it. Exactly. Because and they have the they, they they can get up and leave. Right. They can they, they have right. the their privilege gives them the ability to to choose to stay in that environment or send it themselves, make themselves an ass or whatever, and they disrupt and they leave or they just leave quietly or whatever. They really don't have they have so much privilege in how they will interact, how they will function and move in those spaces. And this is the exhaustion that that this is what they're having a problem with right now because they've done. So they've talked about inclusion and diversity and even without their full backing, the shit's happening and they don't know what the hell to do to now because we are in these spaces and we don't give a shit about their feelings. And they're like, I don't know. And you can't run because we ever we're coming, we're coming in droves. You got LGBTQ people, you have people with disabilities, visible and invisible. You got folks they never had to deal with in their lives. And they are it is it's so funny to see because they're just like, I don't know what they're to... they're learning in real time. Yes, the difference we... between their the uh, an environment that is completely tailored around them. Mm-hmm. And one that has to tailor to other people with different yes. needs. Yes. They're learning. Yes. And so and so it's hard to even have this conversation where they say, I don't understand. Mm-hmm. Right? Like you do understand because you're uncomfortable now. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. do understand. And they don't have the skills to deal with that though. So we've had centuries of coping, the learning, like our parents. Um, I tell use this example all the time. I did it when I was in Milwaukee this weekend. Black people in the room. What are black kids doing at a restaurant? Um and somebody will meekly say, because they, like, they don't know the right, they're sitting damn right. They're sitting down with their parents. They might have a device, but they're sitting at the table. What are white kids doing? Everybody says, running around. That's right, because they know that that space is theirs. They get to run around. They get to do all. They know they're going to be safe. They don't have the skills. They don't have the skills of our parents saying, okay, we're about to get out this car. Don't touch nothing. Don't ask for nothing. <laughs> they don't have those skills. <laughs> yeah, and that, nah, that's true. Like, you know, this like is where you, I feel like, like you said, like you said, you've had to learn how to manage and maneuver in white spaces. They don't have the skills of maneuvering outside of white spaces. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen this so much since <laughs> since I had my daughter, right? And you know, living in Silicon Valley, like we go out and like a lot of like most of the kids that she's going to be around are white kids, mm-hmm. and. I feel like I have to I have to be real careful here because I, I don't really want to judge in the way that a lot of people like to judge parents. That's not my intention. But I, I do see the difference between what they expect from their children mm-hmm. versus what I expect from mine. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, you're going to learn how to behave, right? Like, you know, being, being out here and, and doing the things that we're doing is a privilege that we earn when, when we behave. And like, you know, like I'm in that place where I'm like, if she's acting up, like I'm not having that. We're going to leave. Mm-hmm. We're going to get up and leave. Or, you know, I'm about to pull you over into this corner. We're going to have a conversation. Like, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like, and it's about, it's about discipline. And, you know, I end up talking to so many other people that feel frustrated because they're like, Oh, they won't listen or whatever. And I'm like, you're not doing it. Like they know you're not serious. I'm watching it. They know you're not serious. Like, you think my daughter don't do that? Yes, she does. Mm-hmm. But there's a point when she knows that I'm going from like, oh, maybe you can get away with this to like, no. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, you know, and this is where we could we could get really real, Kim, because I'm I'm asking myself, I'm like, is it because they have been conditioned that you you can't 
discipline white people. Like, even they know. They're not supposed to do that to each other. Even mm-hmm. they know, right? Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. these little white mm-hmm. boys. Like, oh, my God. Like, oh, my God. They won't tell them nothing. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, mm-hmm. this like, it starts real early. Mm-hmm. And by the time they grow up, ain't nobody ever tried to tell them mm-hmm. that they couldn't do whatever the hell they wanted to do. I, I could tell you. Now, this is, I, I, I know there are people, because this is not about whooping or beating or whatever. But I can tell you, ain't no way in hell. A, a a son, a black son's mama was gonna be scared of their ass, and and these white parents, these kids running there. I just look at back like, damn, you want me to handle that for you? Cause you, <laughs> I get, you want me to get that for you? Cause he cussing your ass out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's wild. Yeah, wild. I'm, I'm I'm just laying back. I'm just like, that's how you want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But uh, but like they're not gonna come around my child acting mm-hmm. like that. I can tell you that. And 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 and, and I want to before we close it up because I really want to address that because what because this is coming from an educator's perspective. Children need boundaries. Period. That's how we all feel safe. If you went to your job and you got hired to make a hundred thousand dollars as a black person, I ain't gonna say as a white person because as a black person and no one told you what you were gonna be evaluated on, but you knew you was gonna be evaluated on something. That would bring a lot of damn anxiety because you're like, what What the hell is this? Yeah. Children do the same thing. They thrive with knowing where they're yep. safe, what the safe boundaries are. They're going to push them because that's about development, but they need boundaries. And that's and I'm, and I'm happy Absolutely. I said that because that's how I handle hashtag cause a scene. I treat it as classroom management. Stop. We're not going to do that. This is why we're not going to do that. And this is what we're going to do instead. Do you feel, do you feel, do you find that they, like how do they how do they respond when the, when those kind of things go down? Okay, so let me let me let me break it down to you because I said I already told you what my baseline is. So if you can't get with what I just said, you can get the hell out. Right, it's you my go. Cla- <laughs> it's my classroom. It's my classroom. The, you don't get to say what happens in this classroom. You have your classroom. You can do whatever the hell you want to. That's like on my timeline is my timeline. You came to me. You came here with this bullshit. They love to say that. They love to say, well, tell, tell me how I could do better. Tell me how, I'm like, you here, like, I'm telling you. Or they want to, <laughs> or they want to, they want to say some, uh, you know, uh, some asshole shit. And then when I go off on their ass, I'm angry. Bitch, you came here. I didn't come to you. You decided that your whiteness allowed you to say whatever the hell you want to. And you used to nobody clapping back at your ass. Well, you obviously did not read my timeline. You didn't do shit. Cause I'm the one that's going to pull it back on your ass. Is what you is is what you said, which is that they want to move the conversation back to you convince me. Yes. Like, no, I'm not gonna Mm-mm. no. Nope. Bye. Ain't my like, ain't my job. <laughs> people are like, oh, you don't you don't wanna you don't wanna convince people. I'm like, I convince oh. a lot of people without dealing with like belligerent bullshit. And I'm not gonna debate my existence with you. That's not what's gonna happen. That that, that that's where we draw the line. Right. That's my that's my favorite thing now. Cause you know, Twitter, Twitter is a wild place, right? And people people oh. really, really think. You're gonna spend all of their all of your time like in a one on one debate with them. I'm like, no. Nah. It's like it's like eight billion other assholes in the world. And exactly. <laughs> then they'll say, they'll say, so you're not gonna answer. And I'm just like <laughs> bye. <laughs> <laughs> and that that also gets to because they're used to demanding. And when we say no and no explanation, a no is a complete sentence blows their fucking minds they're like what you you're not gonna i'm 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 eating dinner now mm-hmm. i'm done I'm, I'm i don't owe you my time i didn't i didn't actually do this for you in the first place 
I did this for the people who follow me. It has nothing to do with you. The pe- people get most the most angry when I say, no, I, I don't need to convince you of anything. We're going to do it anyway. It's going to happen regardless of you. And you're going to get more upset. <laughs> so I don't feel obligated to, to spend my time on this at all, to be honest. Exactly. Oh, my God. This has been great, Marco. Do you have any parting words? Any last things you want to say? Um, I don't know if I have any uh, parting words. Well, maybe I do, right? So, so like, um, for me, my journey on Twitter has really, really been a one, one about self-reflection. And I think people don't really understand that because I spend so much time, you know, being strident and, and, and calling out so many other things that I see around me. But it's been a one of self-reflection. And I think uh, that's the thing that has is becoming more and more difficult these days is for people to uh, kind of you know, stop worrying about what, what everybody else is going to do and how everybody else is going to see them if, if they start to make these changes. I, I really want people to start listening to that inner voice that tells them that something's wrong, that something needs to change. And it's not really about you. You get to decide what, what, kind, of, what kind of impact you're going to have in this movement, but it's not really about you and your personal feelings. You deal with that. Like, you, you, deal, you do whatever you need to do, like go to therapy, I don't know. But this movement is not about making you feel better or feel a certain way or absolving you of your, you know, your part in whatever's going on. It's about it's about you deciding to be a part of moving things forward. I think, you know, we've talked a lot, you and me today, about this tension between people trying to engage but wanting it to go a certain way. You know what I mean? And like I think my only part in words is that you have to let go of that. It's not gonna go a certain way. <laughs> it's not going to go a certain way. It, it won't be the way it won't be the way that I say it won't be the way that you say, like we're going to forge this path together, but it starts with, it starts with us like dealing in reality about where we are. Yes. And you, you can't bring all of this baggage into that conversation. It's just not, it's not going to be mm-hmm. helpful. And so I don't, I don't know if that's cogent enough for people to, to really take something away from, but like, mm-hmm. it really just explains what you're going to get. If you talk to me on Twitter, like I'm, I just can't. I'm not going to spend all my time trying to educate mm-hmm. you. I just can't. There's too much work to do. Yeah, and it, it and and I'll end with um, this is a call out for all you people who have these these large platforms who get fragile when you do some bullshit and you get called out and you want to go away and and because you just can't take it because it's just too hard. Well, then shut the fuck up and only talk about what you're an expert is is in technology because this human shit y'all ain't doing too well. I say that all the time. Shut, shutting up is free. You can exactly. always choose that. You can always choose saying nothing. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh my God. Is that a novel idea? Just to say, just to shut the fuck up. <laughs> Thank you so much. I knew this was going to be a great conversation. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me on, Kim. I had a great time. Have a good day. Bye. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Hashtag Cause the Scene podcast. And I'd like to thank all our current sponsors of the podcast and the Hashtag Cause the Scene movement. Of course, we strongly encourage everyone to become an individual sponsor of the Hashtag Cause the Scene community. Just visit the website at HashtagCauseTheScene.com to sign up today. On behalf of everyone here at Hashtag Cause the Scene, we'd like to thank you again for listening to today's show and have a wonderful day.